I'm Sinead O'Moore and you're listening to Every Mum the Podcast. Every Mum the Podcast was created for one reason, to get honest about parenthood, about the realities, the joys, the surprises and the fears, the moments that form us and the ones we don't hear people talk enough about. Which is why we are so proud to partner with Water Wipes as our sponsor for this season as they share this mission with us and are such an essential brand for every mum. As creators of the world's purest baby wipes containing just two ingredients, 99.9% water and just a drop of fruit extract, water wipes are purer than cotton wool and water and also the proud winners of three National Parenting Product Awards 2020, including Best Baby Wipes. During the early days as a parent, everything is uncertain, but choosing the right wipes shouldn't be a worry. With no artificial fragrance, soap, silicones or colours, water wipes are suitable for sensitive newborn and even premature skin. Together, we are committed to providing more reassurance for parents with trusted products and this podcast, helping us to all take those important steps towards greater confidence while building a community of support for every mum. This week on Every Mum the Podcast, I have the joy of sitting down with the designer of Timeless Heirlooms, entrepreneur, feminist, ethical and sustainable fashion activist, and most recently, new mum to baby Aya, Shupi Sweetman. In this episode, Shupi and I discuss her ambitions and passions, both in business and at home, a CEO and mama, kind and strong, gentle and fierce. We talk about feminism and that to achieve true career opportunity, you must also campaign for parental equality, how her mission is to create a better world for her daughter, and how our greatest privilege is growing up in a home where you feel loved. Shupi is a woman who has achieved incredible success, pursuing a life, career, and talent she truly loves, and here inspires us all not to choose A or B, CEO or motherhood, but to choose what lights you up, and to build a world that allows both parents to find this balance. Shupi, thank you so much for joining me on Every Mum the Podcast. It is such a pleasure to see you this evening um, and your beautiful jewellery and your beautiful home, which I know I seem to know so well with the, I'm like, the, the pink walls look just as beautiful on Zoom as they do on Instagram. And um, I want to firstly congratulate you on just over 100 days of baby Aya. <laughs> How are you doing? I'm really well. Thank you so much for having me. I, I know it's a uh, 100 days and 100 days where I, it's really funny, but mum still doesn't feel like a, a label that fits. Brian, my husband teases me every now and then. He's like, go, you know, where's your ma? And I think, oh my God, ma? that's not me <laughs> and turn to yeah um being a new almost like being being a new person learning a new skill taking on a new career and a new challenge is huge identity shifts are something that comes up all the time when I have these conversations especially in those first few weeks and months where you really are learning this new part of who you are especially if you've had you know you've had many missions and 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 you know, you're a businesswoman, you're an entrepreneur. Tell me how that fits into the identity. 
So my mum is amazing. She's an incredible woman. My mum is one of the founding members of the Irish Women's Movement. And um, so there are the 13 women who did this with the contraceptive train and all those crazy moments that brought us like the right to, oh, the right to keep our jobs after we get married, which only came in in the 70s. Or to contraception, which only came in in the 80s. So I was brought up by an incredible woman. So, woman, so I, I really knew the power of a mum and that love and that relationship. Um, and Aya was very wanted, so we had a complicated journey getting to her nearly four years. And so when she finally arrived into the world like a little tiny rocket nearly a month early, I just remember this overwhelming love. I, I've never felt anything like it in my life, and I, I, I passionately love my husband, but it was so instant and so overwhelming. Um, it, it's been amazing. So getting to know her over the last hundred days and getting to, to know myself. I, I don't think I was one of those girls who dreamt about being a mum or being married or, <laughs> which is terrible. But um, my, I was saying that my mum, Rosita Streetman, is one of the founding members of the women's movement and she's just written a new book of feminism backwards. That all, it's all about learning being a feminist. And I think I was just very automatically brought up. I, I knew I wanted, so I'm a CEO, I'm an entrepreneur, I, I'm a mentor and I, I very much, I, I adore my job. I get to make the most beautiful things that mark the most precious moments for these amazing women. You know, women buying their own diamonds or women buying diamonds for their wives or buying or being bought diamonds. And that's incredible. And my identity has for a very long time been part of what I do. So it's been really interesting going, well, what does that look like becoming a mum? And, and what does modern, modern motherhood look like? Who are we? And can we be both? Can we be the CEO and the mum? And why do we have to choose? It's crazy that still in the great 2020, that still there's a dichotomy where people, you know, people say to my husband, oh, you're so good for minding the baby. I'm like, no, 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 he's your dad. He's just, he's being a dad. Is there ever a more annoying sentence that could be uttered? How does he feel when people say that? Does it diminish oh, his role? He thinks it's hysterical because we have since day one, I remember, so we're together, Brian and I met when we were 16, so we're 20 years together this year, which is a mad milestone to mark Aya's arrival into the world. And um, my mum always said to us that we worked really well because we were really equal. So Brian has, uh, runs his own tech company and is also part of Chupi and has this huge career as well. And from day one, we always knew it was going to be about the two of us. So we do a really shared caring for her and, and breastfeeding. So there's, I'm doing that, but um, we're always teasing, saying I handle all the input and he handles all the output. Um, but he spends as much time with her and it gives her as much love and cares as much about her. You know, does things like, goes, okay, you know, do you think, I think this dress and tights are going to work together. And I'm like, you know, cares passionately about all those little things and is an amazing dad but I think it's actually really interesting that I thought so obviously there was a huge battle for women achieving proper maternity leave and getting to the stage where we are now which is amazing that six months leave but actually I think there's a huge battle to be fought for for partners leave Mm -hmm. wife or husband but the other person in your life and like I know in the majority of cases it's the dads the idea that somehow they're meant to to bond, to care, to be there with two weeks. That is outrageous. It's absolutely bonkers that we would ever be thinking that something like that two weeks is acceptable for a dad to be part of their baby's life and to support the mum. 
Um, like Brian in those early days, so um, I was saying I arrived like a little rocket a month early, so it meant that I was um, I was pretty zonked. Uh, I wasn't very well at the end of my pregnancy, and I was exhausted. And I had the most amazing midwife, Ali Murphy, who basically Ali got me. She said that you spend the so postpartum, spend your first week in bed, your second week near bed, so meaning as in like able to walk to your bed within a few minutes, and the third week close to your bed, so not, not leaving your house. And I really took that seriously. So for the first month, I remember ringing my, my best friend and going, I've just walked downstairs. And she was like, what? What do you mean you just walked downstairs? And I was like, uh, like I, I've just walked downstairs for the first time in 10 days. So for the first 10 days, I just hung out in my bedroom and upstairs and Brian like cooked and cared and cleaned and made sure that I could be what I needed. Because in those first few days, she was so tiny when she was born. It was just about taking care of her and breastfeeding her. And we have ever since that time split all of our duties completely equally. Do you think that that has been afforded to you because you are in control of your career? So I think it's been afforded to us because Brian's in control of his career, actually, okay. which I think is very interesting. So um, obviously maternity leave in a pandemic is a very interesting way to have a baby. As you all know, it's, it's, <laughs> a, it's a complicated time to be pregnant, but I would have been on leave anyway. But the huge advantage to us is that he was able, because he's working from home, and because we are in our company and we've got an incredibly supportive business partner, Kate, who really was just amazing and was like, go mind your baby and our team were, oh my God, they're just incredible. They're such an amazing family. And they gave us, so we have about 40 people across our team and they gave us the opportunity to go and be parents together. And it meant that because Brian could control his destiny because he wasn't expected back in an office 10 days after having this tiny little person arrive, it meant that he could choose how he wanted to be a dad and he wanted to be a dad with his whole heart and to do everything. So it's a funny thing. It wasn't, I was in control of my destiny. It was definitely because he was able to control his. I'm really optimistic and really filled with joy. And I think everyone, I just think it's kind of funny when you're pregnant, everyone tells you all the terrible things that are going to happen. I feel like for, for pretty much you know, once you tell everyone for those kind of five, four or five months, everyone just tells you all these terrible, terrible things. <laughs> I, I think for me, it was a real surprise that, but yeah, it's tough. It's the most complicated, intense, emotional thing I've ever done. But yes, it's amazing. You know, even the bad days and there, there's been bad days and bad moments are okay. You know, it's so much more feasible. Everyone threatens you with this, or you're never going to sleep again. Yeah, but you get to have a tiny, amazing little person who looks at you and thinks you are the greatest thing in the world. Like her little smile when she looks at us, we were both just, we melt. And that, like, I, I was in work this morning and um, I walked home from our studio and came into the house and Brian was hanging out with Aya. And her little face when she saw me, just that like smile of joy. And then she snuggled into him because her emotion was so much. She didn't know how to express it. That's amazing. I think, um, I think we, we scare people off from motherhood almost because it's, I think in a funny way, because it's automatic. As a woman, it's assumed you're going to have babies. So, they, you know, it's, everyone assumes you're going to get married, you're going to have your babies, all on this clock and timetable. And so it's kind of okay to threaten you about it and go, oh, well, I, I, I swear to God, I spent from, so I'm 36, and from about the age of 28 onwards, people going, oh, you know, you're thinking about having babies, you know, when are you going to have them? And I remember deep, I remember coming home to my mum, having lunch with her and going, mum, Someone asked me today, a journalist asked me, I'd say I was 29, was I planning on having children? And just 
being furious. And my mum said to me, she's like, darling, you're not a breeding cow. You're not allowed to ask that. <laughs> it's just that we still assume. So there's this huge assumption that um, motherhood isn't automatic and that you have to go and do it. And so, it, but then on the flip side, we tell people all the terrible things about it and how awful it is and how tough it is because it has been that automatic and not, not a, like automatic motherhood where women were expected to have you know, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten babies, that that was your function in life. So it was really bloody tough. And it was really hard. And it's like we carry unemotional trauma from our mothers and grandmothers of remembering what it was like to want to desperately be something else and to only be allowed wear that hat of, you know, there's so many children. I was saying... My mum has just written her autobiography, um, Feminism Backwards, and she writes about my granny in it. And so my granny had nine children, but was actually, and was you know, from a very, very good family and would have loved to have gone and um, she would have loved, so her brother was a doctor and she really wanted to go be a doctor too, but it wasn't allowed. It was the 1930s in Ireland and she went up and she served in Belfast during, during the emergency, as they call it. Um, but she desperately wanted to go and do that full time, but it wasn't an option. And so I, I think that's really interesting that we as a generation now have this huge choice where we get to choose what we want to do, but we carry some of the hang-ups from what our mothers and grandmothers and great-grandmothers were forced to do. It was your path, and once you were on it, you were locked in it. And that was it. You left your job up until the 1970s. If you, you left your job, they, you literally went and got married. And you were, that was it. It was like, goodbye, you know, go enjoy being, being, that's it. You're, you're any, any life outside the home is gone. And, and my God, it's amazing. Like how incredible if you choose the home as your, as your home, that is the hardest job you will ever do. I have so much respect for women who are like, no, this is my life and I want to do it. But this idea that we should automatically force people down that path. I think this, it's really funny, actually. I think there's a huge challenge in both things that we expect we we like we're not quite sure about women who choose to stay at home and we're equally not sure about women who choose to work we're not happy no matter which choice she makes where she goes and what she does because as i got older and especially i think in the last few years where everyone was deeply concerned again people said to me oh well you're just choosing your career over your babies and i wanted to strangle them and say no i'm we're going for ivf it's not working thanks so much but the assumption that you can't have both, not in a way where you charge from home to crash to work and do that rat run every single day, but the idea that we can't have both aspects of our lives and both aspects of ourselves. Did you ever respond with that? Did you ever say directly back to somebody, we are going through IVF? Uh, yes. <laughs> I would pretend that I was far more civilized, but it depends how it, it would always depend how how inappropriate someone was being. I think the truth is sometimes easier to say no, which is why I because I I think I think more women should just say the truth. Absolutely. Firstly, to normalize. Secondly, to educate those that shouldn't be asking, um, and to to evoke a response from the person who has initiated this well, conversation. And I actually took to saying, I would try it for various things, but and I, I also find it, I have to say, absolutely none of your business, mm. because I think it isn't. And I think it's also, you know, how many women are choosing not to? 
mm. not to have babies or to wait until they're later. And we don't say it to men. Why do we pigeonhole? Like how many of my friends who have, so we're obviously in our 30s, heading into our late 30s, have gone for interviews and taken off their wedding rings when they go for an interview because um, people assume you're going to have babies and then you're going to be a danger to the organisation. That's absolutely shocking. We don't, we don't think the same way of men. Going back to the interview that you spoke about when it was asked of you when you were 29, was the context that here I am talking to this entrepreneur, but are you planning on having children? Dot, 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 your business won't work. Absolutely. It was, so, um, I think, I think as a female entrepreneur as well, it's always challenging. I've told the story a few times, but I remember going into the bank when I was 21 and I just secured my first contract with Topshop who was the biggest thing on the high street back then they you know was working with Kate Moss it was this insane time and Topshop were, were amazing and I went into the bank to get a business credit card because this was so long ago when you wanted to order something over the phone Ireland had do you remember laser so they didn't have you didn't have a you couldn't use laser over the phone so you couldn't use laser internationally so i needed a credit card to be able to buy buy product internationally like buy fabric and those sort of things went into the bank and the business account manager said to me he was uh, he was like well you know i think the best thing to do now is just go on you start now come back to me in a year or so and sure in the meantime you can use your boyfriend's credit card my boyfriend who at the time brian who was in college had a credit card through college. And we still, it's actually really funny. And it made me laugh. I, I subsequently left the next day. I took my business away and moved it to a different bank and I've never been back to that original bank. And usually it was because um, when we talk about women and women in business and female entrepreneurs, we always talk about lifestyle. Oh, it's a lovely little business. You know, she set it up for herself. And so the journalist asking me at 29, was I going to have babies? was just an assumption because my company was very tiny then. It was probably three people on the team. You know, we hadn't anywhere near a million quid turnover or anything near it. And so it was an assumption that I was having a lovely little lifestyle business that I would fit around my family. And that is an amazing thing. If you can employ yourself and work around your family, if that's your goal, you go for it. But I was sitting down doing an interview where I was talking about internationalization, you know, opening our stores around the world and my ambitions for it. And to suddenly just be told, isn't that lovely? So you're basically, you know, got a nice little business. So what lessons are you bringing into your life right now to, to not go down that track, to still be the, the CEO you, to still be the businesswoman you, the ambitious you, the growth you, and the nurturing, mothering, loving you. Ha- have you found any challenge when it comes to blending those two? No. <laughs> yeah, because I think I, I am the same person in work and the same person at home, and I get to do the things I love and get to be part of the things I love. And I'm, I'm a better person for the fact that I love passionately what I do and should be. It brings me so much joy and it fills me up. We were talking about that earlier, that, like, that joy it brings you. I remember my um, midwife, Ali, saying to me when, after about three or four weeks, she was like, Cheap, everyone calls me Cheap. She was like, Cheap, I think you need to go and do a little bit of work. <laughs> because and it's funny I was asking her afterwards how many people she said that to and she was like I don't say it to a lot of people but because for me my job brings me such joy um I think I, I find it easy the blend in between I guess if I had a if I had a different job if I was if I was off I don't know conquering conquering countries on behalf of the United States I might feel slightly differently about <laughs> it 
but the fact that I get to do what I love and that, but that was a really profound decision to get to so starting cheapy I said I, I worked for top shops I worked in in fast fashion making disposable dresses you know like completely so differently to what I do now dresses you wore once and threw away and, and I loved it and then loved it for the first few years and then had a quarter life crisis which I thoroughly recommend um I I fell out of love with it and I realized that there's loads of things you should be in your 20s but bored isn't one of them you should be challenged and excited and driven and I knew then at 26 10 years ago now actually that I I didn't want to be a fashion designer when I grew up and I always knew that but it, it didn't have my heart and so we didn't have it was, it was 26 we just got engaged I did we weren't married we didn't own our home we didn't have babies and there was no no anchor nothing nothing that I needed to take care of so I thought okay well I may as well burn everything down and start again and so I took my whole life and Brian and I and we took it apart and and restarted and built a life that really mattered with cheapy like I it's just you should see the dms I get on Instagram the messages from people who've got this incredible one from someone um, who had had just broken up with her husband and so she's gone and she's had this unbelievably horrific time and um, had put taken her wedding bands off and put them away and isn't going to you know doesn't want to wear them again but is keeping them for her children and came into us and chose a new ring because she wanted she said her hand felt naked because they'd been married for so long her hand felt naked wearing nothing but she wanted something that was to her and that she bought with her own money and celebrated this new start in her life I get to do that so for me going to work is amazing but it's amazing because I spent 10 years building this if I'd if I'd had Aya back then when I was in Topshop and I, I loved my job but it didn't make me it didn't fill me up um, I'd be a different person so now and, and it's funny because I always knew I'd have babies older so my mum was 36 when she had me and I always kind of it's not, it's not older but by some people's standards but I'm really glad that I got to figure out what what makes me happy first. I really believe in the synchronicity of timing. I really feel like things fall into place when they're supposed to happen. I officially went on maternity leave today. <laughs> but I want to be at home with my newborn. I want desperately to have this baby to be this, you know, to be a mother um, to a second child and all that comes with that love. This also fills me up. Yeah. And as an employee, as opposed to an entrepreneur, it was such a joy to be given the flexibility and the freedom and the trust to be able to continue what fills me up whilst also becoming the woman and the mother I want to be. And I, I, look, I think if there is more examples of it out there, you know, I really struggled when I originally went on maternity leave on my first child because of that break of identity. You know, work was such a passion for me to have that taken away from me and expected now to just live within the walls of newborn life. That's, that's a challenge for some women. And I think that we need to find a way in this world where you don't have to be, it's like, six months completely off but then you are fully back i agree you know that doesn't work there needs to be a really ambition will grow and energy will grow and great things will flourish when people are enabled to find that balance 
And I think it's it's such a funny dichotomy that we want on and off so hard and fast that and that like in a funny way the that what's happened in the world over the last bit will hopefully help restore some balance. And obviously it's been incredibly tough on everyone. It is incredibly tough on everyone and no hard the hardest hit are working mums, you know, that with no childcare, with schools closed. It's been really, really brutal. But it would be a may and Lord, if you're going on, you know, maternity leave and having babies, but there has to be a better version than just six months pure mum and then fully back in. And the problem is because we expect women to go back fully back, and we don't, and we expect men to go after six months, and we expect men to go back after two weeks. It means that we lose loads of brilliant women out of the system because they don't, because they can't get back. Who's going to leave their tiny little babe back in crash? Who's going to transition? How do you, how do you make that possible? And it's going to be really challenging over the next, you know, next few years. But reimagining what that looks like, reimagining what our lives look like, what our needs look like, what we can do and what we want to do, and not, not thinking that it has to be either career woman or stay-at-home mom what's the bit what does what does just life look like and that's i think that's our next big challenge so mom always says that the huge challenge that she feels that they failed on in the women's movement is that um of the 13 of them only two had babies two had families and so if mom said for the rest of them including her their big fight was for working women so that to achieve equality in the workplace to get women the right to be employed to write the whole right to hold their jobs and she said she always feels that they achieved equality until a certain point but she said she never wanted to achieve equality that meant that both parents worked 60 hours a week and the babies were in crash and it's not that she's anti that it's just that she feels that wasn't that doesn't look like joy for anyone no one is getting joy from that level of, of craziness. You know, there's, really, there's been some really interesting stuff around four-day weeks happening. You know, the idea of five-day salary on a four-day week and what you could look like to develop that. And obviously, that's the dream. And right now, everyone is just, look, it's going to be really tough for the next few years. But if we could look at building a better future that enabled that, how much, how much better off we would be and how we would keep both men and women fulfilled. Because it's really tough that we expect the dads to go back and just go to work and leave their babies and not and leave their partners and like honestly Brian um Brian went and went, has gone and worked worked a full day in the office a few weeks ago and was gone from sort of half seven till six he came home and I was like what was that the intensity of being with this tiny little babe who just needs you so much and not having someone there to support you is you know even just having someone for lunch you know having someone to hang out with having those little things it's so important we have that and it is one of the crippling causes of postnatal depression and loneliness and overwhelm when it's when the responsibility is firmly placed only on you for a 12-hour day five days a week and there is no let up, there's no break. And especially right now where yeah. there is also no connections in play centers, in coffee shops, in, in, you know, pregnant or postnatal Pilates or yoga classes there, the village are all locked up in their homes. Um, but then it's, it's had our challenge overall, the fact that our village is really depleted, not just with COVID, but our connections. And in a funny way, and I say this as somebody who's completely addicted to Instagram, I love it passionately. It's enabled me to grow Chupi as this huge international brand because of Instagram, because we connect with people all over the world through it. 
but in a funny way it's kind of soaking up some of our friendship time and our connection time and you know instead of calling your friend and having a chat you know you maybe you're just on Instagram scrolling or instead of taking the time out to really make a connection with a real person we have all these connections with people who we don't really know that well who aren't really part of our lives and um, it's funny because we're always I'm really interested in that and that idea of like, why do people hate scroll influencers? You know, when they're, you know, kind of like connecting with all these people and but kind of hating them and kind of having all these people with, who are portraying perfect lives. It's such a negative piece. And I think social media is one of the most powerful things we have. We're so privileged to live in an era where we can connect and fall in love and see beautiful things and beautiful experiences and, you know, help influence and shape our lives. But that idea of, of that real negativity piece of just getting, of not actually making those real connections. And COVID is really compromising that because we can't see them in real life. But we still have the phone, we still have WhatsApp. And you know that meme that says, you know, don't bring me on my phone, it's not what I use it for. <laughs> it's like, I'm laughing about it because you do get that shock when your phone rings. You're like, oh, no, 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 hang on. What, what is a phone call? But I actually, I make a lot of phone calls. And I've actually been making a really conscious effort over the last mm-hmm. month to call people instead because I just I miss the sound of my friends' voices. You know, we, we WhatsApp and we text and we send pictures, but at, but just or to video call, just to connect and see them and talk and to really try and, and ensure that we are we are taking care of ourselves and you know having that, you know, like you can't go for a glass of wine now, but having that emotional glass of wine. I think connection is sensory. Yeah. You know, to really be with somebody there's touch there's smell there's sight there's sound there's you know even if it's a it's just a friendship it's still an intimacy it's we're next to each other we're near each other there's a physical connection and although I totally value the the extension of my village because of things like Instagram and because I can connect with people who might be strangers but in that moment going through something that I completely identify and relate with and therefore feel less alone it's it's the balance and I think that's what I'm missing right now I'm missing those sensory connections with other people and it's the shallow and deep so you've got this amazing kind of shallow pool like I have so many amazing friends and people I've met through through Instagram and they're it's it's so so incredible but they are by and large shallower connections because they're people in different countries who maybe I don't get to see it and people I don't get to see as much but the depth of those friendships you know the people you can call it to in the morning you know there's like there's people so we Brian and I got married um which was just, it was, six, it was our anniversary a few weeks ago, and it was um, six years ago. We got married. Our rule for our, you can hear actually, Brian and I are a-wooing at each other. <laughs> they do this gorgeous thing where they a-woo. She a-woos and he a-woos back. It's just, and she won't do it with me. She loves it. It's just for him, this little a-wooing. It's gorgeous. But um, when we wrote our guest list, we said if we couldn't call them at, two in the morning, good news or bad news, we weren't going to invite them. So we had 84 people on our guest list. And it just felt like the most powerful decision to be, you know, it kind of took all the nonsense out of it. Of like, oh, well, you know, so-and-so invited us to theirs and then maybe we didn't go, but maybe we should go. And that's like Auntie, Auntie X and Cousin Y. And I was like, if you wouldn't call them at 2 a.m., why are they there for the most intimate, precious moments of your life? And I think that's what I'm really missing at the moment. So is, is seeing 
and it's been really amazing because we're still seeing obviously you know like that piece of seeing one household at a time and seeing trying not to see our friends because Dublin is in lockdown at the moment but um yeah missing that connection of the people you'd call at two in the morning how fabulous though to have over 80 people that you could call <laughs> the good news or bad news at 2am <laughs> I know and actually it's really funny we stuck to it we really thought about it afterwards then thinking like was that the right decision and were they the right people and they were I remember standing at the top of the aisle with Brian by my side and just thinking if the world ended right now it wouldn't matter because everyone I love is in this room and yeah that was an amazing feeling who did you call when you found out you were pregnant um so I am very lucky. I have two best friends and um, I, I told them so for both of them and they had their gorgeous little boys. They both sent me, I, I knew before one of their husbands because one of them, her husband was away for work and she couldn't get hold of him. And she sent me a text at half seven in the morning going, are you awake? And I knew categorically that she was pregnant. I just knew instantly the moment she sent me the message, I knew that was it. And I rang her and I, and she told me, and then my other bestie, she told me again, like inappropriately early. So I knew probably when they were both about like three or four weeks pregnant. And so I always knew I'd tell them and they were both amazing. They were so there as part of their journey, our journey. And I, their support and love was incredible because they never gave up. You know, they really, they really believed it was going to happen for us and that was just you know to have that and no and what, it wasn't even that because that sounds so fairy tale like oh you know you know if you just stop trying if you just stop if you just stop being stressed it'll just happen for you no that's not how it works for some people it takes loads and loads and loads of drugs and loads of amazing doctors and loads of medicine and that's that's how it works so it's different but they always both believed that we would make our family and i think that was incredible so i told them both within Oh, uh, like I maybe lasted two days. <laughs> two days would be a miracle. And we knew really, really early because with IVF, obviously, you're so certain you know what day you should be. You, you do your you, you do your transfer and all that. So I I told them within within days. Yeah, I, I couldn't last. And then one of my I have a very very dear friend, and I wanted to tell him. And I remember I told him at Christmas. I waited a little bit longer because then I got really nervous that I told them and. I told them because I thought that if I, if anything went wrong, they'd be the people I talked mm -hmm. to. If for any reason it, it wasn't okay, they'd be the people I told. But I remember telling one of my, one of my other really dear friends, I remember telling him and I told him on Angel Street in Dublin, as we were waiting, queuing to go into um, Chimac, one of our favorite little restaurants, and we were standing outside in the freezing cold in December last year, and just all the Christmas lights around it. And I remember saying to him, it's worked. We're, we're going to have our, we're going to have our baby. We're having our daughter. And, um, he was so sweet. And I started crying and he started crying. And I just remember him holding me and saying, this is the best Christmas present you could have given me. And I was like, yeah, we've been very lucky. Our family and our friends are, have been amazing. You have such a close relationship with your mum. What did she say? Oh, mum was the best. <laughs> I have, um, she wrote me a poem actually after I told her and I had it framed on Aya's wall. So it, she just hand wrote it afterwards and it, she has the most wonderful handwriting. And she said, I went for dinner with her and I waited a little bit longer for her because I just needed to, I guess I needed to digest it. 
And so I think I told, I told her it six weeks, like super self-control. I waited ages before I told my mum. So um, six weeks. And we went for dinner in Rathmines and we were sitting there. And um, I just remember going, taking her hands and going, mum, it worked. We're, because I, I hadn't told her we were doing a cycle at that exact moment. Because the problem with it is you do so many cycles and for each loss and each failure, you have to tell everyone you love that it hasn't worked. And that's heartbreaking because you're, it's not only the loss to you, to both of you, it's then the hurt you distribute out to the people you love. Um, so I hadn't, and like, whereas my two besties both knew, so they, I knew, I knew that if I'd gotten past 48 hours of not telling them, they would, I wanted to tell them as soon as possible. And yeah, I remember telling mum and it's lovely. She wrote the sweetest poem and it's, um, it's, what's the title? It's, it's a blueberry. <laughs> it was, it's basically I remember telling her I've been pregnant and you know right now she's the size of a the baby I didn't know she was a girl then the baby is the size of a blueberry and mum's uh the final lines are mum talking about so her family home is Derrybourne down in Glendalough in Wicklow and she the final lines are I remember she's she's writing and she says I remember mum I remember dad I remember grandfather sitting in front of the fire at Derrybourne family hope life so yeah it's beautiful yeah I'm really lucky because of that relationship and because of everything that she has fought for and thought you and inspired you to be and now you have a daughter what are you passing on what are you hoping that what what's your what's your dream for how she will be able to grow up in a in a feminist world it's really interesting because there's a funny, um, a funny feeling about feminism at the moment that it's almost as though we don't need it anymore. You know, this is kind of like, oh no, feminism is so last season. We did that. We, we have equality. Well, if we're so equal, is, is this what equality looks like? Because for me, it's certainly not good enough. And I remember finding out when we found out I was a girl and we were so thrilled. Um, to meet her because it felt so much more real when we knew she was a little person. But I also remember the fear. I remember thinking, and it's not that there's so many challenges for boys and my amazing brother and husband and I have all these incredible men in my life, but there's so many challenges for boys, but the challenges for girls are, it was imagining her facing the things I'd gone through, the discrimination of, you know, being <laughs> the ridiculousness of, of not being able to get a credit card not being able to, you know, being pigeonholed is, isn't it nice? What if she wants a career that has, is in a very, is in a, in a male dominated field or that she's going to face all of these challenges that I did. And I was furious about it at the time, but thinking about how mum must have felt watching me take on those challenges that they fought so hard to get over. I would love her. She's not going to grow up in an equal world. She won't. That's the way it is but hopefully she will grow up in a better world than I grew up in and that she will create a better world for her children. And that's the most you can hope for is that we will build a world where there is more equality. You know, it's, you think we progress forwards, but we don't, we can go backwards too. Look at what's happening in the wider world. Look at Trump, look at Boris Johnson. And my dad is English. My little sister lives in London. I have this, you know, it's a huge connection to it and thinking just, we thought progress was linear. We thought hatred would get less. We thought racism would diminish and that, you know, all of those terrible things. And you even look at what's been happening in Ireland. 
absolutely terrifying. So I think we've such a duty to bring up our children to believe in equality. We have to be actively trying to build a better world. And so that's what Brian and I both want for her. It, it's what Brian and I both want for Aya as a better world. But we also want it to all of my girlfriends. So I have six of my girlfriends have had boys all in a row. And all these wonderful, brilliant, amazing boys, one of who is now one of whom is now 19 and studying nurse pediatric nursing in DCU. He started his own little coffee business, Cafe Pico. And you just think he's such an amazing feminist. You know, he's incredible. He really truly believes in equality because his mum brought him up to believe that everyone is created equal. And so it's not just a battle for us, it's for it's not just for us as women, it's for us as a world. Because actually it's funny that as a feminist, I actually think the next battle for childcare is about paternal parental leave for your partner. And then I think that's the heat we battle. So yeah. With each generation we have to leave it better than we found it. Absolutely. And we can't just leave it leave it as it was because it's not even a question if we don't do anything that will stay the same. What if we don't do anything and it gets worse? Mm. What if we look at you know, Donald Trump not condemning white supremacists? Well, who could have even imagined that a few years ago? Boris Johnson, you know, setting where you can hunt in England. So it's okay to go out hunting, but you can't gather in any other social setting. That privilege is... We are very privileged as we are living in such a beautiful country and in such a beautiful part of the world, but we owe it. So I'm an ambassador for Plan International. They're an amazing organization that support young women in the developing world and for um, Focus Ireland and for um, Dogs Trust. And it's just looking at those things and going, no, we have a duty. So we actually started a foundation last year. So we have the Tupi Foundation and it's a very tiny thing and we're doing, we're just doing little bits with it, but we're looking towards, for example, one of the things we're really interested in is doing 1% for the planet. So we'll look to give 1% of the profits from the business towards projects that better the planet and that contribute in a really meaningful way because I feel like I have a duty as a mom to raise Aya the right way, but also as a CEO and an entrepreneur to, to build a business that delivers better things for the world. You're such an inspiration, I have to say. I, I guess I always think that, you know, mom gave us such a wonderful gift in that she gave us um, the ability to think we could be better and do better. And that, that, you know, that's, that's a huge, I was reading something really interesting around that one of the greatest, you know, you can't, you know, we talk about privilege. One of the greatest privileges is being born into a family that loves you. Mm. And that that was something that I was so lucky to be gifted with. And I think that's why I have a, I have a real duty to try and to build a better world. Your journey, as you've said, had its challenges. She is here now. You've had your first 100 days. <laughs> yeah. And there are going to be thousands more where you grow even closer as a family. Thank you so much for joining us on Everyone the Podcast to share your experience. I've said it before, you're such an inspiration to me. And I hope to everyone listening here today. You're Thank very you. Sinead, thanks so much for having me. Thank you all so much for listening. If you've enjoyed this episode, it really helps our show to grow if you subscribe, rate, or leave a review. Share this episode across social and get in touch with this week's inspiring guest, at Shoopy Sweetman on Instagram. Talk to you again next week. This series is kindly supported by Water Wipes. Water Wipes are an essential for every mum from that first snappy change to during those messy weaning months. As creators of the world's purest baby wipes, water wipes are purer than cotton wool and water and are proud sponsors 
of Every Moment the Podcast.